We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So I think you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks, Wendy, for coming on here as well. Well, Thanks for having me. Yes. So uh, as you know, today we have Wendy St. John, a partner of Kimball Tyree and St. John, joining us to answer some questions surrounding all the things that you might be wondering about in regards to evictions with your tenants and what kind of eviction laws are currently in place as when it comes to the CARES Act. So um, anyways, if you don't know Wendy or you haven't heard of Kimball Tyree and St. John, they are one of the largest, if not the largest eviction attorney in California, at least. Um, we've used them on a number of our evictions. I, I would hate to say how many evictions we've had to do in San Diego, but um, anyway, so we've used Kimball Tyree and St. John. I've worked with Wendy in the past as well. So um, Wendy, uh, thanks so much for coming on and maybe share a little bit about you and your firm and we can kind of get started. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you for having me. It's really small world to have worked with you and then have you uh, be a friend of my son. So yes. <laughs> uh, it's brought me in a little more to the technological age. This is my first podcast. Happy to have you on a Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for training me. <laughs> you and Nicole and my education team at work. Uh, I'm Wendy St. John. Hi, everybody. I'm with Kimball Tyree and St. John. Our law firm handles evictions. We represent owners and managers of real property throughout California. We also do a lot of fair housing defense, uh, employment matters, business and real estate transactions, litigation, business uh, creation of business entities and creditor representation. We also do ADA defense and estate planning. So uh, we're an all purpose law firm for your real estate matters. We have an education department where we focus on preventive law to help you reduce your legal problems and avoid potential lawsuits. And uh, you can see our website here under education. You can uh, check out our programs and that we have landlord tenant training and uh, maybe more importantly, fair housing training. The fair housing laws have changed in 2020 and it's important for you to be aware of them in particular with respect to service animals and uh, emotional support animals. So I invite you to take a look later. Today we're going to be discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in numerous uh, tenant protection laws throughout California, state, local, and federal. As you're probably all aware, things are changing day by day, hour by hour. It's a fluid situation. So uh, what I tell you today is informational, but it's not legal advice. If you wish to have legal advice, please consult an attorney at our firm or wherever. But uh, it's really a good time to check with an attorney before you communicate with your tenants. Attendance at this training does not create a land, uh, an attorney-client relationship with me. Uh, for legal advice, you'd have to retain our firm. So uh, one more thing, when you take a look at our website here, uh, you can also see uh, COVID-19 court closures. And if you click on that, you can go to a spreadsheet of closures for different courts throughout the state. Imperial County courts are open. It kind of follows the um, <laughs> political bent of an area. Uh, San Diego courts are closed. 
LA courts are open for some things closed for others. So it's kind of interesting to check that out. We have another spreadsheet on there you can take a look at, which is the eviction moratoria by city and county. Um, there are over 150 different local laws that have been passed uh, since March 1st in California. The governor uh, made an executive order that local jurisdictions could pass their own laws with regard to protecting tenants during this pandemic. So we have tried to get that information in one place. We have a link to the particular ordinance. You can see the blue link. The far left column has a list of different cities. And for unincorporated areas, we have listed the county. So San Diego City has its own rule or ordinance and San Diego County has something called the resolution which does has similar protections, uh, but it's for unincorporated areas of San Diego when it comes to the eviction protection. The San Diego County ordinance or resolution has some uh, rules which apply to the entire county but the eviction protection ones only apply to unincorporated areas of the county, like where I live out in El Cajon, but not the city of El Cajon. Okay, I think that is a good intro, Crystal. Perfect. Um, so before we jump into the questions, everybody, we've got about 15 questions to cover. Um, if you scroll down, there is a poll question you guys could answer just to get some feedback from you. First question is, is percentage of people that paid rent. Second question is, is do you have anybody that is just, nobody's there. They're not answering you. They're not responding. Um, we're just curious. The second thing is, is when we get to the final question, um, Wendy has been generous and nice enough to do some Q and A. Remember she is an attorney. She's not going to give legal advice. And if there is a question she doesn't feel comfortable answering, she won't, but she's pretty cool. And I think she'll answer whatever she can. And then just, we will open that up towards the end of the questions, 15, whatever, number 15. You guys can ask any question you want. Otherwise, I think we're ready to jump in because you guys came here not to listen to us talk, but listen to all these questions to get answered and get some more information. Awesome. Okay, Wendy, I'm going to get started. So how does the CARES Act affect landlords? All right, so I was uh, getting ready this morning. I got out of my PJs for y'all. And when I was getting ready, I was thinking that uh, the laws as they apply now remind me of the seven layer dip. You know, everybody's favorite has yeah. guacamole and sour cream and beans and cheese and it's seven layers of deliciousness. Well, uh, laws in this day and age, uh, all of a sudden during this pandemic are layered. So. You have federal laws, state laws, local laws, and judicial council emergency rule, which has the effect of law. Uh, so the CARES Act only affects certain properties and it's a federal law and it uh, protects tenants and thereby affects landlords uh, in subsidized housing. They refer to it as covered residential housing. It does not apply to commercial but uh, an example of some of the tenants who would be protected are tenants who live in public housing, Section 8 housing choice voucher tenants, Section 8 project-based rental assistance, and there are about 10 more. You know if you have uh, a federally subsidized tenancy because you have an agreement with the subsidizing agency. It, it also affects low-income housing tax credit programs. Uh, 
there is another group that's protected, which is rental housing with a single family or certain multifamily mortgage for less than five. If it was purchased or securitized by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or insured by the FHA or certain other uh, loan guarantees like the Department of Veterans Affairs. So that's who is uh, protected by the CARES Act. And now for what the CARES Act does. You'll be hearing today about local laws that protect tenants and prohibit landlords from doing certain things if the tenant gives notice and verification of inability to pay rent due to a COVID-19 related reason. And there are as many different variations of the rule as there are cities and counties. But the CARES Act, which applies to these federally subsidized uh, tenancies, does not require the tenant to provide any notice at all to landlord or verification of inability to pay rent as a result of COVID-19, job loss, income reduction, medical bills, not being able to go to work because you have to stay home with kids because their schools closed. Those are some of the reasons in other cities and counties, but federally, no notice is required. So if you are a landlord with a tenant in a subsidized property, you may not serve that tenant a notice to pay rent or quit if they don't pay you, even if they don't tell you of uh, any hardship. In fact, they could say, I have the money and I'm not going to pay you because I don't want to. And you would still not have any remedy at this time. Uh, you also cannot apply late charges for late or non-payment of rent to these particular tenants for 120 days starting March 27th. So that takes you out four months to July 27th. You cannot give a notice to vacate until this moratorium is lifted. And when it is lifted, you have to allow a tenant uh, 30 days after notice is given. So it would be a 30 day notice to pay rent or quit. You probably know it's typically a three day notice to pay rent or quit in California. Some subsidized housing has a 10 day, but it's typically three. So that'll be a 30 day notice to pay rent or quit. So that is uh, the most generous protection of any tenants that I am aware of that has taken place since this pandemic started. So just to clarify too, as far as not being able to charge late fees, let's say that this tenant doesn't pay and then July 27th comes around, are you able to then serve the notice for the prior month's late charges or you just have to wipe that out? Even. No, there are no late fees are being incurred. Got it. Okay. But you can serve your notice for the past due rent, uh, unlike some jurisdictions where you may not be able to even go through the eviction at all. For the past due rent, you just sue for money, and then they only have to pay rent going forward. But those jurisdictions are few and far between. Okay. So for the most part, you can then, after July 27th, serve uh, notice for past due rent for yeah. that period of time even. Yes, the although the other theme after layering in today's laws is, uh, what would I call it, fluid. Oh, so what do you get with seven layer dip? Beer or <laughs> iced tea or something? It's fluid. Things are changing by the day. So I expect things to be extended, changed, altered. As of today, you would be able to file a notice to pay rent or quit and follow up with an eviction. 
Okay, so you did answer one of our questions was the fact that this does not apply to commercial tenancies. Right. So this is strictly residential. Um, the next question is what rules apply to my property? So if you have a one to four that's not subsidized, um, what kinds of rules apply to those? Okay, numbers? so uh, the answer to that is it depends on the state and local laws. So the first thing you would do is see what city or unincorporated area of what county is the property located. So you've checked the box and for the rest of this discussion, I'll assume you're not a federally subsidized tenancy. So we're not even going to talk about CARES anymore. Now you're just looking at general tenancies throughout the state of California. Any number of units. Uh, you have to look at what are the local laws, the state laws and the local laws. Uh, for example, the city of San Diego has enacted an ordinance and the county of San Diego has enacted a resolution which have different rules for how it's applied. The city of San Diego, uh, and you can see these on that spreadsheet on our website and, and read the ordinance if you want to, or just call an attorney and ask about it. The city of San Diego ordinance is more landlord generous than any of the other ordinances I've read. Uh, it requires a tenant to notify the landlord on or before the day that rent is due of their inability to pay due to COVID-19 related reasons and to provide verification to the landlord within a week thereafter, uh, supporting what they said. That applies to both commercial and residential. So unlike CARES, uh, the city of San Diego ordinance protects commercial and residential tenants. The reason being, uh, they believe that it's important for businesses to remain open, although they're closed temporarily, but not to be evicted and permanently shut down because they offer jobs to people. So they're trying to protect the businesses as well. City of San Diego ordinance protects commercial and residential tenants. What that ordinance says is that if the tenant provides you the notification of a substantial decrease in household income, or business income for a commercial tenant, uh, loss of hours, and some of the reasons I listed before, illness, um, kids have to stay home from school so parents can't go to work, that type of thing, uh, then the landlord may not serve a pay rent or quit or evict that tenant. The city of San Diego has given tenants six months from the date of the ordinance to pay unpaid rents. So if they don't pay April and May, then they have six months out for April and six months out for May to pay it back. If they do not do so, uh, then the landlord may proceed with the eviction at the end of that six month period. Uh, or let's say the tenant moved out, they could sue in small claims or send it to non-judgment collections. Okay. So if they did have a COVID related reason for not being able to pay rent, they still have to pay it back within six months. Yes, there's no law in California yet that forgives rent for any reason related to COVID-19. Every penny of rent has to be repaid. Uh, and so ideally, tenants will pay their rent if they're able so they don't get behind and face eviction or a credit ding down the road. Ideally, they'll make up a payment plan with landlord or some type of a forbearance agreement, pay what they can, and pay the rest back within the time periods allowed within their jurisdiction. 
So as a landlord, are you able to request additional documentation to support their COVID related reason or, you know, job loss, things like that? Uh, in some areas you are, and in some areas you are not. In the city of San Diego, the landlord can't charge or collect late fees for tenants entitled to the protection, serve a pay or quit, or process an eviction. And the ordinance uh, describes the tenant's decrease in income as quote unquote a substantial decrease. But it does not define that other than to say it can't be a substantial shall not be deemed to exceed 30%. So if a tenant uh, has a reduction in income of 30% or more, that's deemed substantial. And then anything under 30%, it's a factual determination. Okay. Uh, so uh, where were you? Oh, what type of verification is required? Okay, uh, it varies by jurisdiction. So San Diego, will allow written verification, something from an employer saying you're unemployed, maybe paycheck stubs showing now you're not getting paid anymore, uh, workers, uh, not workers' comp, but disability, if, no, that's not right either. Unemployment, if the tenant's on unemployment, and it could be disability if they're disabled for COVID-related reasons, but anything to show that the uh, tenant has a decrease in income in the city of San Diego. Uh, in the county of San Diego, they have different uh, rules about when you have to provide notice. City is by the day rent is due, county is within seven days after rent is due. City has another week for verification, county allows two more weeks for verification. And uh, the county, let's see if they define documentation. Uh, No, it, some judges might find that even a verification from the tenant that they verify that they lost their job should be enough. So landlords can ask for evidence and proof, but they should not ignore the rule of refusal to give a pay or quit because they don't think the verification is good enough. Got it. Okay, so at this point, you just try to work it out in a friendly manner. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what about if a tenant has basically just gone dark on you? What, they haven't responded, they haven't paid, you can't get a hold of them. What does, what can a landlord do in that instance? It's happening, yeah. What I recommend is that the landlord write a letter to the tenants confirming the amount due. Dear tenant, uh, it is April 29th. We haven't received April rent. You owe a balance of $1,200. Uh, we haven't had any contact or communication from you since you paid March rent back on March 1st. That is telling them basically they didn't give any COVID related notice. If you want to, you can just come right out and say it. We never received any notice of your inability to pay for COVID related reasons nor any verification. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then landlords have the option of what to say from there. They might say, please send payment forthwith. Please notify me why you haven't paid them when you plan to pay. Uh, please be aware that all rents remain due and owing. Uh, if you'd like to discuss a possible payment plan, let me know. Any payment plan would need to be a signed written agreement to be binding. Um, 
You could negotiate a move out. You could negotiate a cash for keys. It depends what the landlord's goals are. What's important is don't just go give a three-day notice to pay rent or quit without checking with an attorney or reading your ordinance if, if you're comfortable figuring it out by reading the ordinance because uh, if a tenant merely texted you can't pay sick, a court might find that's enough to protect the tenant. And most of these ordinances say if landlord violates, it's a defense to an eviction. So we'll talk later today about the fact that the courts are closed and when they reopen evictions have changed from five day proceedings to 60 day proceedings. And uh, they're backed up, the courts are so backed up because they've been closed that we're planning, well, we don't know how long it'll take, but we're planning for the worst. So a landlord doesn't wanna push for an eviction and then six or 12 months down the road, get to court and find some technical defense because they served a three day, which really did the landlord no good because they couldn't file in court anyway. So basically, Wendy, what you're saying is, is what we talked about previously, discussion is that everybody, is that if you're not 100% and you do give somebody the wrong paperwork, you might not know today, but down the road, you get to court, you're like, I got them, this is done. The judge looks at you and says, that's not how it should have been handled. I have this evidence. Maybe the tenant doesn't even tell you and you get to court and they have some evidence. You lose on a technicality, which Crystal and I know what that means. And basically you're back to square one. That's right. So uh, many landlords, maybe even most landlords uh, who've been handling things a certain way for their entire career as a manager or owner of rental property uh, have an expectation of uh, a tenant following the terms of the lease. And if they don't, they get a three-day notice to perform, either pay or quit or comply if they have an unauthorized dog, get rid of the dog, whatever it may be. And if not, the landlord can file in court. There's a five-day summons, which means once a tenant is served, they have five days to respond. Then there's a 20-day trial setting and maybe a four week lockout period. So you're looking at you know two or three months to enforce your lease and landlords count on that. It is not business as usual. So now it's all those time periods of five days are now 65 days. The 20 days trial setting is now a 60 day trial setting. The courts are behind 7,500 cases and it's growing every day. Uh, courtrooms are still, they're closed now and when they open they'll be um, social distancing. So they'll be having less cases per day with people having to wear masks and that type of thing. So it's so important not to just say, well, we'll just see you in court. Because if you want to take that tack, you want to be very sure that your case is airtight. And you can think your case is airtight, but as Kenny pointed out, if you say you didn't get noticed, but then the tenant shows some text saying, you know, can't pay sick and we've all missed a text or you forget or you don't think that's enough or they didn't provide the verification, but you find out in your unincorporated area of the county, no verification is required. You start over and you've just lost all the rents, not permanently, but they're, they're building up if the tenant's still in possession, all the attorney fees, the frustration, and then you have to start a second case. I'm predicting uh, tenants may even move before you can evict them, which is, it rarely happens. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening in this particular case. 
Um, so what do what can a landlord do if a tenant is causing a nuisance and we're saying the courts are closed, but let's say they're causing a problem or maybe they've threatened harm against someone. There's just some sort of an issue where, you know, you need to get rid of this tenant for non-COVID related reasons, but maybe safety reasons. That's a really important point. Uh, tempers are flaring with people being stuck at home. And if many of us have a home and a yard and you know are able to make it through a couple tough months other people might have more a lot of people in a small apartment with no yard and uh, real financial pressures they may be hungry they may be sick and uh people upstairs are making noise and people act out people get drunk break bottles make threats the court is open for emergency proceedings if a tenant is uh threatening public health or safety, the landlord should call the police and have, tell their other tenants who complain that they're being disturbed to call the police if anything else happens. Uh, ask the police to make a report. Sometimes they don't want to, but see if they will. Uh, landlords should keep a record of what happens and when and witness names and contact information if they have that. And landlords should tell the tenant in writing, uh, either by letter or by notice to perform covenant or quit, what the problem behavior is and that it has to stop. If it is serious, uh, wielding a gun or knife or harming someone, threatening to kill someone, Kenny laughed when I said cooking math, but <laughs> those, <laughs> things, <laughs> those things that threaten health and safety. Uh, the courts are allowing temporary restraining orders, so seek a temporary restraining order. And in the alternative, you can give a three-day notice to quit for nuisance or illegal act if it affects public health and safety and you have the evidence and witnesses to prove it. Sometimes witnesses are hesitant because they're afraid of retaliation, but if you have a strong case and you have the witnesses, we actually can serve that kind of a notice now. We can file in court based on threat to public health and safety. And the court can, if the judge agrees with your position, issue the summons, which normally is issued automatically when you file a suit, but right now they're not. So we have to go in and prove a threat to health, public health and safety to get a summons. Then it issues, then uh, pr push the case forward and at each step of the way show there's a threat to public health and safety. Restraining order is faster, but eviction is a possible alternative if you have that really bad case. Chris, I just want to point out, just very, when we talk about res, and this is for everybody watching, when we talk about residential finance, residential properties, we are talking about like one to four or multifamily. Five just plus. so people Any know, kind of residential when we're talking about commercial, that could be retail, office, things like that. So some people think commercial is multifamily. When Wendy says residential, she means five plus. I just wanted to throw that out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Any dwelling, any rental dwelling of any number of units. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, the other question, one of the questions we got from one of the uh, attendees early on was, can they still serve a 30 day, 30 or 60 day notice to vacate? So let's say that they maybe want to renovate the unit or they have another reason that they want to request that the tenant vacate non-COVID related. Are they still able to serve those notices now? Uh, it depends on the jurisdiction. <clears throat> Excuse me. It depends on the jurisdiction. So you'd have to look at the city or county. Mm -hmm. And there's also a California uh, law 
that uh, it's an executive order that the governor has given that may prevent certain 30 or 60 day non-cause notices from going forward. If you have just cause, uh, you may be able to serve it, but you wouldn't be able to have it expire because, well, all the days the courts are closed don't count for service of a pay rent or quit notice. So if you give a three day pay or quit today, the days don't start counting because the courts are closed and that's a judicial holiday. So a 60 day or a 30 day as I think about it does count, um, but it can't end on a court holiday. So you can go up to day 59, but day 60 wouldn't be until the courts are reopened. So basically you could send that notice and if the tenant complies, great. But if they don't comply, then you're basically waiting until the court opens. And you're saying basically day one starts on the day that court opens or it just can't end. On a 60 or 30 day, day one starts, uh, the day after you serve them is day one. Okay. But it can't end on a weekend or holiday or a court closure date. So basically it would end essentially if it's more than 60 days out, it would end on the date, the first day that courts open again. It would. And uh, that is with the proviso that you check your local law because there are some local laws that prohibit a no cause 60 day or 30 day now. Okay. And as of now, when do courts in San Diego at least open? Well, they were going to open on May 1st and uh, the San Diego presiding judge Oxney is her name, Laura Oxney, has said that uh, they're requesting an extension till May 18th to open the courts. Wow. And we haven't heard back on that just yet. We have not. That's sure okay. probably get it back. Yeah. Um, okay, so just going back to the tenant, let's say that your tenant hasn't paid rent and let's say you don't feel that it's valid or that they have, you know, have not paid for non-COVID related reasons or haven't notified you properly. And a landlord wants to maybe negotiate with a tenant to get them out to avoid, you know, prolonging the issue. How would you recommend uh, somebody go about that? Or would you recommend even them doing that? Well, uh, what our firm has done is put together packages of letters and repayment agreements or forbearance agreements that a landlord can buy a package for $750. And that package would be specific to the city, for example, San Diego. And uh, they could use those forms to communicate with their tenants in the city of San Diego. If you then also have some tenants in the city of Los Angeles, we have a separate package for the Los Angeles area because the rules are different. And the second package goes down in price to 350. And it goes, it, any following package is 350. So you could use that for all your LA tenants. What that includes is a document the tenant can give you that provides you notice that they are claiming a COVID-19 related reason for non-payment of rent and the uh, legally requested verification. It includes a letter such as I described earlier telling them what's owed and to contact you if they want to make a repayment plan. And it includes a repayment plan or forbearance agreement. So uh, that's one way to proceed with or without a lawyer, but I recommend if you can do that, you'll have a lawyer check your paperwork before you send it to make sure it's compliant with your local laws. Um, 
one of the attendees made a comment that he's used you guys a couple times in the last 15 years and that, you know, you guys have done a really great job for him and just take yourself out of it and hire KTS. Um, I love the endorsement. Um, it, we've definitely witnessed that on both sides. So just not even a question to Wendy for us. Yes, having a management company and managing over a thousand units and dealing with a lot of different evictions. For us, we just found that our first call is always to Kimball Tyree uh, or your eviction attorney, whomever you use, because it's so easy for us to not have the correct verbiage or to um, inadvertently miss something that causes you a lot of time, headache, money, stress, all of that in court. And now that we're all in this extended period of time, uh, we're already losing that time. So uh, for me, I would just recommend, uh, of course, this isn't Wendy saying it, but for me, I would just recommend calling and getting that advice. I would have done that pre-COVID and I would say certainly during COVID um, because we've made those mistakes too. Just when you think you have it all down uh, and then you miss something minor and you've got a reserve notice, wait all that time. Uh, it's now is definitely not the time to get into that. So and yeah, if you've lose, if you've lost in court on a technicality because we manage so many, you'll do that once um, because you'll never do it again. And so I just, it's like we just don't even take the chance. So uh, you can contact us at email uh, at info at kts-law.com. Cool. And an attorney will get back to you. Okay, yeah, and awesome. you guys have multiple attorneys in your office, so that's been the great part for us is. Um, an attorney gets back to you pretty quickly with the answer that you need. There's all yeah, the so, emails. Cool. Right. So we've awesome. got um, emails throughout San Diego and by area of law. But if you just do info at kts-law.com, we'll get you to the right place. And if you look farther down on the list, um, there are the hardship packages I was referring to. Oh, and great. down below, if you go... Uh, to our website, we have some legal alerts, but our COVID-19 alerts, uh, I don't know that they're all on our website yet, but uh, we can provide you this list with links to those updates if you're interested. And yeah, and for everybody, like uh, Wendy said earlier, a lot, of, a lot of us have managed properties, you know, never needed legal advice. Your tenants have been great. Everything's been smooth sailing for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I've gotten calls from people I've never done anything, but we're in a new world and things have changed so much and they're changing daily. And for you to sit there and not to have to keep up with all this stuff, at this is the point in time you're like, just pay a professional because they're taking the time, the energy and the money and they're using the resources to do their homework for you. Yeah. Um, so I think we answered a lot of the questions that we had just by virtue of kind of talking through these things about the payment plans, um, you guys have a package that people can buy and we've certainly had you guys draft notices for us and then we were able to use them moving forward, you know? Um, so the other thing, let's see, um, do you anticipate significant delays for processing evictions? I think we know the obvious question, but maybe you can shed a little bit more light on what you think the process might be at this point. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, another layered dip. So the state of California has implemented some eviction protections for tenants with an executive order where the governor uh, changed the five-day response to 60 and uh, I'm getting my 
my layers mixed up. I can't remember exactly what else. Oh, I know what else he did. He said, you can't issue a writ of possession. At the end of an eviction, if the landlord prevails, the order is for possession to be returned to landlord. And the way we get that accomplished is the court issues a document called a writ of possession, which we give to the sheriff with a big pile of money. Then they go post the door and tell the tenant they have to move. And then the tenant moves or the sheriff changes, has you change the locks. So uh, the governor has said no writs of possession issue right now until this state of emergency is lifted or until he changes that rule. So that's our California rule. San Diego court is closed till May 1, will probably be closed to May 18th, and that May 18th date may be extended again. Uh, also, each day the courts closed in San Diego has been deemed a court holiday for the purpose of filing papers. The San Diego Superior Court's not accepting any legal filings except emergency matters, like I explained, for a threat to public health and safety. San Diego Superior Court says they've been getting about a thousand pieces of mail a day and none has been processed, processed since March 16th. It's all unopened in boxes. Uh, and the court anticipates uh, they won't be doing hearings the same way after this. Uh, they'll be doing social distancing, so less people in the courtroom, which will slow matters down. So I've talked about the state executive order and the San Diego court. Okay, now comes the San Diego, uh, not the San Diego, but the California Judicial Council. The Judicial Council is a group of judges uh, led by the Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court. And the governor has uh, tasked the Judicial Council with implementing rules uh, statewide because I just talked about San Diego, but statewide, um, the Judicial Council implemented rules about all different kinds of court actions, including evictions. Emergency rule number one uh, says that the court will not issue a summons, which is what has to be issued to serve a tenant in a lawsuit, including an unlawful detainer, unless there's a threat to public health and safety. The court will not issue a default. So if you have a lawsuit, you get a summons, you serve the tenant, tenant does nothing, then you seek a default judgment for possession. The Judicial Council has put a moratorium on entering a default unless there's a threat to public health and safety. Uh, I already told you that the summons is from, changed from five to 60 days, or 65, it's 60 plus five. So if you do get a summons issued, it's a 65 day response time and then if the tenant responds, now there is a 60-day uh, trial setting time. It used to be 20 days, now it's 60. Mm -hmm. uh, so the effect of the rule is to delay unlawful detainers, uh, and the delays can't be measured yet. So um, one question that I recall we talked about, I wanted to ask you this. Um, what if you're one of those unfortunate landlords who was most of the way, if not had a court date right around the time the courts shut down for an eviction, having nothing to do with COVID-19 or anything like that? What, what happens if you were basically like almost to the tail end of your eviction? How, what happens when the courts start up again? Well, since the governor said no writs issue, even if you were at the tail end, 
uh, you're stuck in this circular delay. Uh, if you didn't have a trial and we go ask for a trial date again, now it's a 60 day wait for trial, even if trial would have been the next day. And I had three trials set for the next day. Uh, if you had a writ of possession issue, the tenant was notified they have to move, but the sheriff was going out the next day. Uh, we have to reschedule with the sheriff. If you didn't get a writ of possession issued yet, you can't get a writ of possession issued because that has been uh, prohibited by the governor during the state of emergency. So even people who were almost there, and I have one client who's, he's back in uh, South Carolina building an airplane. He's a very nice guy, very, very interesting guy. And he was, they, they were squatters in his unit. The tenant vacated and left druggies in there. And he had a lockup maybe the next day or two. And it didn't happen. And, and now the tenant has actually moved back in with his squatter friends. And my client's just waiting. He's just waiting. Wow. So just to kind of walk through this, so um, just so we kind of have this, and Chris will help me too. So let's say the court's open May 1st. We're just going to pick a date. That means, just correct me wrong, you can start filing paperwork then, correct? You can, but you can't get a summons. So you can file your lawsuit, but it can't be served on the tenant. So that's the 65-day wait. Once you get a summons and serve it, then you wait 65 days. When can you get a summons? Uh, it uh, depends on what the Judicial Council orders. Okay. Right now. So basically... Yeah. So, so okay. basically, just to kind of open discussion here about timeline and your professional opinion based on what you know, if I start the paperwork May 1st and I have all the facts and whatever, if you just had to make a wild guess, how long do you think before you potentially, if you had all the facts and it was a good case, you can get somebody out, how long do you think it's going to take for May 1st to get somebody out? Well, first, let me correct something I said. The Judicial Council order goes till 90 days after the state of emergency is declared to be over. So there is an end date to that. Okay. Uh, so it's 90 days after. After the state of emergency is declared to be over. So that's and, when you could file a summons. Yes. And, and Gavin Newsom in the past has extended state of emergency orders during the fires and that type of problem. So it could be extended. It's hard to know. Right now it ends May 31st. So 90 days later is June, July, August 31st. So we're looking at September 1 to have things back to normal. And then there then are, you wait 65 days after that. Yes, unless, well, that will expire. That 65-day rule will expire at the end of the state of emergency as well. Okay, okay. good. Okay, yeah. so it's 90 days, basically. And then the 90 days after the state of emergency. Exactly. Yeah, after the state of emergency, yeah. and then you can kind of go back to your regular timelines is what you're right. saying. Right, so if nothing else changes, I think starting September 1, evictions could be processed as usual unless some orders are implemented or extended. So okay. then all you'd be looking at in September is delays based on backlog and social distancing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, which there is going to be a delay. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take the court a while to catch up. So this is this could go for six months. Yeah, maybe six months from September. 
depending on where you were in your proceeding, if you had filed your case yet. Okay. So just preparing everybody, this is going to be a patient, longer process until they get caught up. Yeah, it's a good time to think about alternative business practices rather than wielding the stick, perhaps entice with the carrot. Yes. Okay, change the strategy a bit. Yeah. Okay, I think we ask the majority of, I think we've asked everything actually on our Yeah, list a, a couple of things I want to go back over because I've talked to a bunch of people. So one thing, Wendy, is I know we mentioned, and I'm just going to throw things out there of a lot of conversations I've had. Number one is the paperwork. People have called me and I'm not an attorney. And I just said, based on talking to big landlords, small landlords, syndicators, all this stuff, a lot of people are saying they're asking for, okay, you can't pay rent. Cool. I want to see that you got let go. I want to see that you filed for unemployment. And also the next conversation is you're, you know, you're making enough money. I know to pay me, what's the delay. So that's kind of the conversation I'm having. But you're saying is, is even if you ask for information or can ask for it, we talked about this, they can tell you, Hey, Kenny, you know, pound saying, I'm not giving you anything. And that, that is, it is what it is. Well, it depends. Depends on the area. Some, if, if the tenant does not comply with the ordinance, let's use the San Diego ordinance. You have to give notice before rent is due and verification within seven days thereafter. <clears throat> let's just say the tenant, 10 days after rent is due, which is not a timely notice, text you can't pay sick and you never get any verification. Technically, they have not complied with that ordinance. So you have every right to write back and say, your notice wasn't timely, but please at least provide me verification you know, that you're sick and different income things. You can ask for those things, but you can't threaten them. You can't say it's the law that they provide it. You can tell them rent still remains due and owing. Uh, I'll work with you if you provide verification, but nothing you've done is timely and you haven't given me the proper paperwork. I'd be careful because if you express your frustration in a way that sounds heavy handed or uh, threatening to the tenant, uh, there are issues with debt collection protections, there are issues with harassment, and bottom line is, judges just don't like it. You know, everybody knows people are stuck at home. Chances are that especially certain people, you know, people who work in restaurants, for example, aren't getting money. Uh, people who don't get unemployment, maybe Uber drivers, aren't getting money. You can insist on verification, but if it makes sense, your alternative of pushing and giving a three-day doesn't really get you any further. Yeah, and I mean, in your opinion, this for even for judges, when they start seeing these cases, I mean, you've been in court in front of judges longer than any of us on this. I mean, obviously, judges, judges are humans. There's paperwork, but also they're put in a they're put in a little awkward space too, because this is like, there's gotta be a little compassion here, even though landlords don't like to hear that, but they might use a little compassion because of the circumstance. I mean, or do you think it's gonna be evidence-based or? If I were a judge, and what I hope judges would do is enforce each local law to the letter. So if I were the judge and the tenant didn't give notice in the city of San Diego prior to when rent is due and didn't support uh, provide verification within seven days. I would say, okay, Mr. Tenant, unfortunately you didn't do these things. Um, so 
you don't have the six months to repay what's due. Tenant landlord gave a pay quit once the courts were open and you know, that's not a defense. If you want to go out in the hall, work out a payment plan and move up date, great. We do that in a lot of cases anyway, but if not, I'm going to have to rule for the landlord. What I see as the possible risk is where the tenant did something, might not have been quite on time, but if it's uh, sympathetic, like my kid was in the hospital under a ventilator, sorry I didn't give you notice. Yeah. <laughs> Judges just might find some other technicality. We call it something to hang their hat on. They might not say, well, I'm finding that they did enough, but they'll say, no, they didn't. The tenant didn't comply, but the landlord, I don't believe you mailed the same day because the postmark on the envelope is the next day. So you lose on that. That's what, that's what I see. Yeah. Judge, judges find a way to do what they want to do. Even great yeah. judges, even if yeah. they don't mean to do that, they just, I, a lot of cases you read, when you read case law, uh, I always look at what I believe, why the judge did what they did. And a lot of times it'll be the judge will say in the case law, the tenant tried to pay the full amount due one day after the notice expired and landlord refused it. And I see so many of those cases on appeal, not on that issue, but they hang their hat on some technicality because just take the money. Mm. <laughs> and there are plenty of reasons landlords don't just take the money. It may be a case where they can't evict the tenant on other grounds. There's a lease or some other protection but the tenant really is causing a nuisance, but not quite a grave enough nuisance to be grounds for eviction. So I understand why landlords might not take money a day later, Yeah. but judges don't always get all that background. Okay, a couple more questions I have before we jump in everybody else's questions. The other thing is, is we were talking about um, on the phone or previously when we were setting this up, is I've gotten calls from people saying, I was surprised some of the tenants not paying or tenants they thought would pay that might be more, you know, have like businesses or doctors or things and they're just kind of playing games. Let's just call it the playing games. Okay. So some people said, Kenny, they're not paying. They've, or they're saying, I want a reduction of rent or this and that. And they're like, this is ridiculous. And one of the things I said is, well, why don't you just call them back and say, Hey, why don't I just do something better is um, I'll let you out of your lease. You can get out. I'll give you a deposit back and leave and let's say they agree upon that i asked you the question even if you come up with that scenario or you come up with a payment plan scenario don't you um don't you think that us as landlords should have everything in writing and stuff with you know like a payment plan in writing or hey they're vacating the property and getting something in documenting. writing documenting like i just wanted to get your like thoughts on that well, first of all, you're right. It's great to be creative in negotiating with your tenants and um, make a list of priorities. What, what's more important to you? To get possession? But because if you re-rent, the new tenants might not pay for the same reasons. If you have a tenant who is able to pay but not paying and then get a tenant who really can't pay for COVID-related reasons, has that really helped you? Yeah. Uh, so being creative is good. Negotiating is good. Documenting everything is important when you're managing uh, rental property always so not just now but now as much as ever if not more and uh, you want to document your own conduct as when you spoke to someone what communications went back and forth and you want to document with the tenant uh, love to work something out of course we'd have to have a signed written agreement for it to be binding so. So we're going to start 
um, answering some of these questions over here. And then if you guys have any other questions, feel free to type them into the Q&A. Um, and then Crystal, do you want to? So we've got a couple questions in the chat. And then I also got um, a couple questions here. I had one question um, that one of the attendees asked me right before we started this. So he's got a, a client who uh, it's, he says the foreign government has recalled one of the tenants due to COVID and wants to break his lease. And he also wants his deposit back. Okay. Which, where is that question? Is it on the chat? No, it was a text message. Oh, okay. Then uh, read it to me again. The foreign government has recalled one of the tenants due to COVID and wants to break the lease and is requesting their deposit back. Okay, well, uh, I'm gonna, first of all, take a detour and say that if it were a service member right. in San Diego or in the United States, and they have been deployed or have change of duty station and provide the paperwork, a landlord does have to break the lease. They don't have to give the deposit back, but they account for the deposit the way they normally would within 21 days and use it for cleaning repairs and back rent. A foreign government recalling a tenant, uh, I've never, heard of that as grounds for letting a tenant out of their lease, I would have to look at the lease and look at the paperwork provided to the landlord to see if there's some federal law that I'm not aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, to my knowledge, no. But even if the lease could be terminated without penalty, I'd know of nothing that would say you have to give back the deposit. It can always be used for cleaning repairs and back rent, even for service members. So that doesn't make sense to me. So you would just take the standard security deposit disposition and normal wear and tear you can't use, but anything beyond normal wear and tear you could. Right, and technically, let's say they left it perfect and owed no past due rent, the deposit can be used for future rents under the lease if there's no law or lease provision allowing them to break the lease. Okay, so they should just contact the office and provide the lease and get specific advice just to make sure um, right. The lease and any written documentation they got in case there's some diplomatic law that I don't know about, it, okay. it could happen. Perfect. Um, okay, so I'm going to go through the couple of questions we got early on in the chat as well, and then we'll jump into the Q&A section and see what kind of questions there were. Um, so what type of questions am I as a landlord allowed to ask when a prospective tenant calls me and inquires about one of my vacancies, i.e. how many people, have you ever been evicted, any pets, non-smokers? No questions, just have a form. And the reason is for fair housing reasons, you want to be consistent in the information that you request. So you can uh, tell the applicant uh, we have a form, hopefully it's available online, or you can email it to him. Uh, you can send that in with your credit check fee, and we accept Section 8. If they ask, you have to say you accept Section 8 uh, applicants, like everyone else. And then you put them through the process of uh, objective criteria, legally verifiable income, uh, who's going to live there. You are allowed to ask about prior evictions. Uh, asking how many people are going to live there is... Usually you ask who the occupants yeah, are yeah, on the application. You're framing it wrong if you ask the number of occupants because that could be deemed to be discriminating against uh, cultural individuals who may have larger families or live with different generations of families. 
and be legally protected class. So you have to be careful to have uh, your application being be in writing and be neutral and objective. Ask the same thing of all applicants, have it in writing so you can prove how you asked for it. You do not uh, keep a copy of a driver's license when tenants apply. You can look at it and, uh, but you, you can't make a copy of it when they apply because under fair housing laws, people could determine that you were looking at their race or their gender or something else to determine whether they qualify to rent. Um, so basically have an application form and most of those questions would actually be answered on the application. Right. Um, and also on under fair housing, uh, landlords are really supposed to rent to the first qualified applicant. They're not supposed to say, let's say you get five applications in and the first one is from a family of four, they qualify, then two and three applications don't qualify because they have no income. The fourth application is a single guy who qualifies. You should give it to the first one who qualified who's a family of four. And if you give it to the fourth one, um, the single guy, the family could sue and say you discriminated against them by uh, based on their family familial status. Perfect. And then also some of these things that are in the question here, um, you could have your lease could outline what's allowed or not allowed. Such as smoking, for example. Smoking or- Oh yeah, you can prohibit smoking. Or if you add somebody moves in with you, you're supposed to notify the landlord or the management company and add them to the lease, things like that. Yeah, well, they don't get to just notify you. They have to have the person they want to move in, file an application, do a credit check. If they're approved, add them to the lease and have everyone sign accordingly. There are things you can prohibit Smoking is not yet a protected class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, okay, so the next one, can a commercial landlord ask the tenant their status on applying and receiving government assistance? Hmm. No, all you do with a tenant applicant is ask for every source of income. They have to list all sources of income and then they have to provide evidence that it's legal and verifiable. So this was a new question. What if this tenant is already occupying? It sounds like maybe they didn't pay rent. Um, can the landlord, and she's asking in regards to a commercial property, so I'm assuming maybe it's you know retail or office or industrial, um, can they ask the status on applying for and receiving government assistance? What type of government assistance? Like, let's say that they- The PPP. The, like a PPP Oh, loan. the PPP. Hmm, well, okay, let's think that through. So let's say it's the city of San Diego where commercial entities are protected from eviction during this pandemic. If the tenant has provided notice of inability to pay and uh, verification of inability to pay. So let's say the tenant has done those things. Then the ordinance says nothing about whether the landlord can say, okay, I see that you can't pay rent for your restaurant because your restaurant's closed and you're not doing to-go orders, but have you gotten the PPP loan? I don't think it's prohibited to ask, but 
they could say yes and you still can't force them to pay because that's not written into the ordinance that if they got the PPP loan, then these don't, these rules don't apply. Okay. Okay. Um, here's an, the, the next question. Are there any changes regarding asking for more deposits under the pandemic for new rentals? Well, that's interesting. First of all, uh, California law allows a landlord to ask for up to two months rent, the equivalent of two months rent as security deposit for residential rental. Three months if it's furnished, but I don't know very many furnished places. Uh, I think it makes good sense to ask prospective tenants for two months rent because they might move right in and not pay. For that matter, you can negotiate paying six months rent in advance as well. Oddly, you can't ask for prepayment of three, four, or five months rent, but you're allowed to ask for a repayment or prepayment of six months rent, oddly. So yes, you can negotiate for that, but uh, what you have to be careful of is you can't tell some tenants they would need to do that and other tenants say, never mind, because then again, uh, that's a violation of fair housing. It's treating people differently and the effect is discriminatory, even if that wasn't your intent. So if applicant number one says, I've got a family of four and they say, okay, you need two months rent and prepay six months or two months deposit and prepay six months rent. And then applicant four is the single guy who works for Apple or Qualcomm or something. And they don't ask for that. That's problematic. So you have to be consistent. And then the question comes up, do you have to be consistent by rental or by complex or by city? So those things I can't answer across the board, maybe in, Del Mar for the 6,000 a month rental, you can be stricter than you might be in a lower income part of San Diego. As long as you're being consistent at the San Diego complex doing one thing and at the Del Mar place doing one thing. Okay. You need, somebody you should need, get advice. Yeah, you need objective reasons for what you're doing. Okay. Okay, that is it for the questions. No, no there's more. Wait. Um, okay, Kate. Oh, somebody had somebody cited so a tenant might have cited that they had the COVID 19 as a reason for, for needing vacate. to vacate. But, okay, well, a couple of things uh, different ordinances have different rules. The city of San Diego ordinance says if a tenant leaves in the middle of their lease, even if they've given the COVID 19 related notice and verification. All rent is due the day they leave. That's all past due rent. Okay. So it doesn't excuse rent. It doesn't give you grounds to terminate your lease. And past due rent is due when you leave in the city of San Diego. And future rent is due according to the lease and the law, which is uh, most leases say, if they're properly drafted, that tenant owes rent through the lease term and landlord has the obligation to mitigate damages by trying to re-rent as quickly as possible. If landlord chooses not to re-rent because of COVID-19, I don't think they're going to be able to charge the tenant the future rent. So you should try to re-rent it to mitigate your damages. And then, Wendy, I got a question. Um, if somebody does vacate or you let them, or they decide to just bail out and you're going to go after them, you still need to send your rent disposition after 21 days to them, even if you're taking all their deposit and stuff, right? That's going to be needed. 
you always need to send out your accounting of how the security deposit is used for cleaning and repairs in excess of normal wear and tear and past due rent or future rent under the lease. Uh, the maximum amount of time before you send it is 21 days. You can do it sooner. Uh, with cleaning and repairs, you need to include receipts supporting the work that you're charging for. Or if it was done in-house, you can list what work was done, the hourly rate, and how many hours were spent doing it. Okay. Um, okay, I'm gonna jump over to the Q&A because these last couple questions in the chat came in late. So I'm gonna um, ask these people who asked their questions first. Sure. Okay. Um, if they're, what if their unemployment is equal to or greater than their previous pay? Okay, well, look at the particular local law. So, for example, in San Diego, it says they have to provide evidence of inability to pay. So, if they provide unemployment showing they get more than they made before, that doesn't show a COVID-related reason for inability to pay. It'd be more likely they wouldn't tell you that. They would just tell you, I lost my job, and not tell you what their unemployment was. Right, so if they make, if they do end up providing you proof then you could say okay well now you have to pay because you could say that yeah yeah okay um the next question is if the tenant agrees and executes a payment plan example to pay half april rent in july and half in august are they now contractually obligated to pay or are they still protected by the local laws don't have to pay for 12 months after emergency order is lifted uh, they're still protected yeah. if they gave the proper notice and verification. Okay. Okay, that was easy. Um, the next question, when uh, we have a tenant whose lease ends July 31st, but they gave notice to vacate by May 31st saying school ends in May, so they want to leave. No COVID-19 events given, only school ends. Is the lease enforceable or at least can we charge them until it is re-rented? Yes. Yes, it's enforceable. Yes, you can charge them till it's re-rented. Uh, if your lease contract has the proper language to do that. Okay. It's basically the same process you would have taken prior to all this. Right. Okay. Um, car forms are- car. California Department or Association of Realtors. Oh, is it okay to use car or air forms to start the repayment process? Initiate repayment- sure see if it sticks before going the legal route. Yeah, I haven't reviewed them, but usually those forms are excellent. Uh, I don't know if you're using a form that was not created with COVID-19 in mind, uh, I would have an attorney review it and review your local law to make sure it doesn't violate it. But in general, they're a good repayment form, but it would have to be customized for COVID-19 and for your local law. Okay. Perfect. Um, the next question. If we want to sell a property that is a rental and occupied, can we give the tenant slash tenants, say, 60-day notice to move for the sale? Or can we leave the tenant in place and let the new buyer handle it? Okay, well, if you want to sell a property that's an occupied rental, uh, in the real world, you can only give a 60-day notice in a non-COVID world uh, if it's a month-to-month -month tenancy. Uh, you can't do it if they're in the middle of a lease. Uh, so let's say it's a month-to-month -month tenancy. Now we're getting into another area of the law. 
1482 went into place January 1st of this year. And in California now, there are rent caps and just cause eviction rules uh, for most tenants in dwellings. Uh, some jurisdictions have a just cause eviction ordinance which takes the place of this law, like the city of San Diego. But uh, if you're in a position where you are allowed to give a 60 day notice, it's a month a month, they've lived there less than two years and you wanna sell it, that's fine, you give that notice and that's absolutely fine. If they don't move, you go through the court system when the courts are open. Can you leave the tenant in place and let the new buyer handle it? <laughs> sure, if you find a buyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. Okay, uh. perfect. Okay, next question. Uh, Del Mar is an incorporated city who, with loose guidelines on eviction moratorium. Should we go by California guidelines? Well, everybody has to follow California and any city that has guidelines. So you have to follow California guidelines if they apply. Um, but uh, if you're looking for a reasonable approach, I would look at County of San Diego if you wanna follow, follow some guidelines. You don't really have to do that though. Okay, so for Del Mar, um, you would recommend just following the California guidelines first. If, I mean, they're saying that the, the guidelines are loose on eviction moratorium. Well. I'd have to look at the Del Mar ordinance. Okay. Um, I didn't look at that one. And I can look at it right now. Do you want me to? Sure, take a peek. Okay, hold on. I'm sure you have your handy dandy spreadsheet up. Oh, I do. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I don't see Del Mar on here. So I'd have to look it up to see if they have an ordinance. When the person asking the question says it's loose, uh, that sounds like maybe they don't have any rules about eviction moratorium in Del Mar. I'd have to look. I'm going to make a note and look later. If that okay. person wants to email me, they can. My yeah, email, email that info. Perfect. My, my email address is my name, wendy.stjohn at kts-law.com, W-E-N-D-Y period. S-T-J-O-H-N at kts-law.com, or you can send an email to our info, email I gave you earlier, info at kts-law.com. We can tell you about Del Mar, but let's just say it says nothing about um, notice or verification or eviction protections. I wouldn't put those rules on yourself, just be reasonable. You can write them a letter, see what they can do, tell them what they owe. Uh, if you want to make a payment plan, do. If you don't, you can wait and go through the eviction process when the court's open. Okay. Next question. If a tenant has not communicated at all and has not claimed any COVID-19 and has not paid their rent and is not subsidized, can we serve a three-day to pay rent in San Diego? Sure. You can. Okay. You just the days don't count because the courts are closed. That's serve right. holiday. Serve away. Okay. Um, can a commercial landlord ask the tenant for documents regarding if they have asked and or received government assistance? Okay. I think we answered that one. Well, I'll, I'll answer it again. The answer is you have to look at your local law 
has the tenant given notice and verification pursuant to any local law and uh, you can ask if they've received that but you can't tell them that they're legally required to tell you and you can't necessarily treat them differently if they have received it depending on um, what law applies okay um so next question can a timeline be done in general with the following case one oh, date I'm not no no timelines okay no, no. timelines no. okay i'd have Fancy. to think that through i'm not going to make everyone wait while i do that if uh if that person so email wants, you directly let me know i'd be happy to work with you and we could open a matter and i'll go through your particular facts okay Got it. If my client has has a signed settlement agreement that requires the tenant to move out on May 31st, 2020, would a lawsuit for specific performance on the contract be faster than a UD lawsuit under the current circumstances? Uh, let's see. Well, the courts aren't accepting lawsuits for specific performance right now, but once they open, it's a 30-day summons on that. So maybe... Uh, the problem with specific performance lawsuits is it's a general civil action and the tenant can sue you back. It's called a cross-claim. Cross-claims are not allowed in unlawful detainers, which makes them a nice vehicle to just get what you want and not have to battle the tenant's claims. Mm -hmm. They have defenses in unlawful detainers, but no cross-complaints. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is a general civil litigation question, and I think you should consult an attorney for the pros and cons. Okay. Um, I think there was a question in regards uh, to the, the same attendee that asked the question about the car forms. So he, he says, I'm going to initiate the repayment plan via air or car forms. Is this okay? If they're customized for COVID-19 related rules yes, and considerations and uh, approved by an attorney. Uh, did you get the one above is unemployment or protection? Oh, I'm going to ask that one. Okay. Yeah. Is, is unemployment a protected class of income such as disability or federal housing assistance? Well, yes and no. Uh, every legally verifiable source of income is a source of income and a tenant cannot be discriminated against based on source of income. That includes section eight housing voucher. So it's not that those particular sources are protected, it's that every source of income is protected unless it's not legal or verifiable. Okay, so we have a couple of other questions over here on the chat. Um, no, it's, that's it. Okay, so right here. If the landlord has a no smoking clause in a lease, can the tenant claim that they have been prescribed medical marijuana and smoking is taking their medication? And if the answer is yes, can the landlord make them smoke outside? <laughs> well, <laughs> First of all, there's lots of ways to take marijuana besides smoking it, or so I've heard. <laughs> so it seems reasonable to me that if they have a no smoking clause, they can enforce it and write a letter and say, Good point. Um, it's been reported that smoke's emanating from your unit. It's in violation of lease paragraph XYZ. It's prohibited, could be grounds for lease termination. Uh, you know, please cease and desist. Then if they keep doing it, you give a three-day notice to perform covenant or quit. If they come to you and say that they, it's a medically, um, that they're smoking because of a medical reason, I would check with our fair housing group. 
but I'm pretty sure you have to go through a reasonable accommodation discussion and say, well, can you do edibles or can you vape or can you do something other than smoking because that's in violation of the lease. It causes damage to the paint and it smells and gets in the carpet and neighbors are bothered. And I don't, it, if they had a doctor who said they had to smoke, could they ask them to do outside? I don't know, it's San Diego, it seems warm enough, but fair housing law is very uh, ambiguous and protective of those classes who claim a fair housing violation. And I'm not sure that I can give a blanket answer. Depends on the circumstances. Got it. So he should reach out to your office. <laughs> okay. Um, can we still increase rents at the end of lease terms? Yes. Okay. Uh, let me get back to AB 1482. So if the tenants live there over two years and uh, the rent cap law applies to them and it applies to, mm, oh, no, no. Let me start over. Rent caps apply to every tenant starting the day they move into the property. Uh, unless they're exempt. And the exemptions include a building that's less than 15 years old and a few other single family residents owned by a non-corporate entity, non-REIT. Uh, but for covered housing that rent caps applies to, you can give a rent increase if they're month to month, you can give a 30 day notice. And if it's a lease, you can give it at the end of the lease term. But the maximum rent increase now in California is 5% plus local cost of living or CPI, which is inflation. Uh, San Diego's is currently 1.8%. So in San Diego, it's 5% plus 1.8%. You can raise the rent 6.8% per year, this year. And you're only allowed to give two rent increases in any 12 month period. So if you rent increase 1% and then another 1%, even though you're only at 2%, you've maxed out your number of rent increases. If you give one for 6.8%, you've maxed it out. Okay. Um, then we got some more praise for Wendy here, but the gist of it is <laughs> um, our lovely insurance agent who helps us with everything, uh, Ives Insurance. Uh, she says, highly suggest pur purchasing a package with Wendy to prevent uh, from the beginning and make sure you're insured correctly uh, and do not have exclusions in your policy. The insurance industry is expecting a huge rise of frivolous lawsuits that will come from this. And we know the courts don't usually side with the landlords in these cases. It's more than a lawsuit. It affects insurance rates down the line and your own stress. So use Wendy and be preventative. It will be worth it. Thank you, Ives. Yes. Um, so I think that is pretty much it for the questions. Oh, wait, hang on. Let's see. We have one more pop up. Yes. If a tenant gives notice due to COVID-19 hardship, can they break their lease? And will no. lease break fees apply? No. Yeah, I think we can Lease break fees apply. Uh, lease break fees, you have to have special language in your notice and it's optional. The tenant can either opt to pay lease break fees per the lease, if you have the legal language, or if they choose not to and they just skip or choose not to pay lease break fees, then they owe rent through the expiration of the lease term, but the landlord has to attempt to mitigate damages by re-renting. Okay. Perfect. There's one more. Um, okay, I'll take one more last question. Last question here. 
I am a property owner who has a writ from Nevada County Superior Court granting me possession of my property because the tenant stopped paying rent January 1, 2020. The Sheriff's Department refuses to remove the tenants. Is there any way I can remove the tenants at this time? No. Only negotiation. Yeah. Beg, borrow, cash for keys. Yeah, so you basically have to take it into your own hands and try to negotiate if you want to get them out as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to wrap up before I ask Wendy for any final words. Um, Crystal and I hosted a rent, uh, a rent control event. And when I finalized that, I said, you're, you're as good as your team is. And when things change and we're in times like this, uh, the strategy is, is when we were talking to Wendy is be compassionate, be nice. I know this is frustrating. People aren't paying rent, but like Wendy said, if you do anything that's out of character or crazy, that could be uh, used against you in court. Also keep in mind, this is not the time to try to do things on your own. It's hire the professional people. Even Wendy's having to work probably 10 times as hard to learn all this stuff, get their head wrapped around it. And it's, remember, this is changing too. It could change next week. It could change next month. And then finally, um, if you can work with the tenant and you can get them out and you feel you have a good property and they can get out and you can bring a new tenant in and can you really screen that tenant to make sure they're viable, they're going to pay rent, obviously following all the Fair Housing Act, that might be the smartest thing to do because I'm just, and me, if I have to deal with an eviction right now, regardless of what anybody says, we know, Crystal and I can sit here and say, this could be six, eight months or longer that somebody's going to sit there and not pay rent. So if you can get somebody out, get somebody else in that you think will pay rent, will be a good tenant and not a nuisance, whatever, that's what I would be focusing on. But if you can't, then I'll leave it to Wendy for final words. But, you know, hire the professional, buy the package, do the right thing. Don't, don't be somebody that's going to lose on this technicality because it's going to cost you a lot of time. A lot of money, money and a lot of frustration. Yeah. So, Wendy, um, thank you again for coming on. Thanks for the time. Thanks for answering all these questions. Any final words for anybody? Yes. Anything you'd like to say? An attorney always has final words. <laughs> okay. You don't have Closing to be nice, thoughts. but you have to be reasonable. So, be reasonable, document, be consistent, and have the outlook that everything you say and do will be presented in front of a judge or jury down the road. So you want to look like an objective, reasonable business person and not an angry, frustrated, scared, anxious human like we all are. Mm -hmm. But you want to look professional and objective and reasonable. Yeah, I think just follow, like you said, is follow um, the rules. And if you feel like, Crystal and I always say this, if you feel like you're going to be emotional and stuff, hire an attorney, let them deal with it, take yourself out of the picture and just live your life. And just, it's, it is what it is. Wendy, thank you so much thank for you. joining us. And that was fun, gonna, thanks. Yes, we're going to, we've been recording the Zoom. We will post it um, on our YouTube channel and we'll include links to Wendy's website and the email uh, to send. And then also point people in the, the direction of where they can look to purchase the packages. Uh, Cause there have been some interest in that in the chat area. Uh, people are really interested and want to see where they can get that. So, well, thank you, Kenny and Crystal. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks yeah. So thanks much, for Wendy. the time. All right. Okay, guys. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.